Let's pray. Um, Daddy, I just thank you for today. I thank you. We've got, you know, just a limited amount of time left this morning. And I know you've got some things on your heart. I know you've got some things that you've placed in my heart. I know you've, you, you've got some words of edification, exhortation, and comfort. You've got just something that you want to speak. And so I just yield my mind. I yield my thoughts. I yield my words. I yield my hands, my feet, my body. It's yours. So take control and say what needs to be said and do what needs to be done. I thank you that um, we have ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts that are open to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's open up our Bibles here real quick. Um, Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. For those of you that are not on board, some of our first-time folks or people that are just kind of starting to to, um, fellowship with us, we have been going through the book um, by Danny Silk called Keep Your Love On. This whole year, 2014, has been a year to, that God said, repair the foundation. Repair the foundation. And that, I mean, there's, that's such a multidimensional word. But um, for many of us, um, that foundation needs to be repaired, okay? Um, that foundation is not just Jesus Christ, um, but Jesus Christ... <laughs> brought a whole lot of things with him. <laughs> when that foundation becomes Jesus Christ and you start to understand the finished work of the cross and what he purchased and what he accomplished on our behalf, let me tell you what that foundation is. That's a foundation of wholeness. That's a foundation of wholeness for the body of Christ. It's a foundation of wholeness for every, every person, every member of the body of Christ. It's a foundation of wholeness for bodies within the body. Okay, so that's, that means corporately, there's a corporate wholeness that Jesus purchased. You know, this oneness that we have in Christ. We are in Christ and Christ is in us. The, the gospel is a message of union. The gospel is a, a message of us being joined to the Lord as one spirit. It's about his flesh being torn so that we could get inside of him. It's about a completed work that's been accomplished in us, for us, and he wants to minister through us. Right? It's a, it's a finished work that happened on the cross by Jesus, by his grace, by his decision, by his design, without any participation or any opinion from any other person. He decided. Amen? He decided. He chose us. Amen? He did the work, and then we get it as a gift. So we get to hear about it. We get to hear the glorious gospel and say, wow, that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for doing that for me. Wow, I received that gift. That's an amazing gift. Hallelujah, right? But, you know, we get, a lot of us receive that portion of the gospel, but the wholeness component of it, we kind of, you know, we just kind of stop short of that. And we still suffer. We suffer with things things like sickness, and we suffer with things like debt, and we suffer with things like broken relationships and divorce and depression and all kinds of things that absolutely Jesus has the victory over once and for all, totally done, finay, all finished, you know? But we still have experiences in our life that are not in line or congruent with what's already been accomplished. So the repairing of that foundation is the restoration of that foundation in our life. It's the actual actualization of what Jesus accomplished on our behalf. It's the actual manifestation of what he accomplished on our behalf. Amen? And so as we've been truck, you know, trucking through this year and talking about repairing the foundation and walking into the manifestation of our wholeness, 
one of the books that we've been um, reading this year is this thing called Keep Your Love On, and it's by Danny Silk. And it's just a masterpiece on relational wholeness. <laughs> it's a masterpiece on connection. It's a masterpiece on communication, and it's a masterpiece on boundaries. And it, it, it is literally an explanation of what health and wholeness looks like relationally. All right? And many times we've lived in dysfunction with our relationships for so long. We've grown up with it. We've grown up with, with houses that had all kinds of nonsense going on. Right? Our parents were, were, grew up in houses that had all kinds of nonsense going on. We're you know, third-generation divorced people. We're single parents. We're all kinds of stuff going on just in our own families and homes. And that's not to be condemning. It's just not heaven on earth. <laughs> Let's be clear. That's, that's, that's not the manifestation of the kingdom. You know, and then we have... Poor examples. We have poor examples, I mean, in every place, from workplace to school place to, you know, the body of Christ, spiritual authority, whatever, of what, what it looks like to communicate in honoring ways, what it looks like to um, be free from manipulation and control in relationships. What does that look like? We're, we're constantly experiencing all kinds of crazy dysfunction in our relationships, and we're an active participant in it. And because it hasn't been modeled, because it hasn't been taught, because it hasn't even been known in many places. In many places, I find, you know, a lot of times we get people, you know, I I have lots of relationships with lots of amazing leaders and lots of amazing people. And I get to have crazy good conversations with people all the time. And sometimes, you know, I get to minister to leaders. I get to be in places with pastors that are all kinds of things I get to be a part of. And, you know, sometimes I find such a criticalness about the state of the body of Christ and such a criticalness about leaders and such a critical spirit about so many things. And I mean, I've fallen prey to that. I mean, trust me, I've had to really forgive, um, you know, denominations. I've had to forgive things for just religious programming in my own life. <laughs> and we need to forgive. We need to forgive that stuff if you've been a part, a part of that. But here's what I, what I was just sharing recently. I said, you know, people can only be what they've been taught and what they've, what's been modeled to them. And if you don't have spiritual family modeled, if you don't have healthy relationships modeled to you, it's extremely difficult to actually function in that. You know, even as kids, you know, kids don't do what you say, they do what you do. Do you understand? And so the programming that we program into our kids that's been programmed, programmed into us is through experiences, through what we've seen and what we've heard. And so we need to give everybody, first of all, just a break because we're all renewing our minds to greater levels of wholeness and greater levels of what it looks like. And here's what I find with most believers. Most believers are sincerely sincere. Most believers love the Lord. Most believers, um, they just don't know. <laughs> you don't know what you don't know. Amen. So we've been going through this book, and we have copies of it for sale. Yeah, Kim? Copies for sale. So if you don't have a copy, they'll be available for sale after after service. But I, I'm sharing it because um, if we are going to individually carry and just fulfill the glory of God and his assignment that is on our lives and the potential that we have to impact just our loved ones and our communities and our neighbors and our workplaces and our spheres of influence. And, and if we're going to do that and be an accurate representation of Jesus, then our relational skills are going to need to be honed. Our conflict 
our ability to resolve conflict, our ability to communicate with honor, even in the midst of disagreements, our ability to um, work through problems, our ability to be able to, to just stay connected. I mean, the body of Christ is connected whether we want to protect that connection or not. Amen? And, and we suit too much, too many times. There's just separation and division and divorce and um, just breakdown, relational breakdown, because we don't have these skills. And this book is all about how to keep your love on. And let me tell you, you wouldn't have to be talking about keeping your love on unless you're tempted to tear it off. Okay, so the whole premise is not just keeping your love on when everything's all good and I like you and you like me and we're all holding hands and seems, you know, whoop-de-doo, whatever. It's when actually you're irritating me, you've made me angry, I don't agree with what you're doing, and I don't like the tone in which you're doing it in. And um, as a matter of fact, uh, if it was up to me, we would just break this thing off, call it a day. And matter of fact, let me just, I'm going to talk to my friends about it because they're going to agree with me once I tell them about it. And all other kinds of stuff. All right? That's what this book is about. This book is about when it's not, when you're not keeping your love on, how to actually turn that upside down and go ahead and keep it on. Okay? Now, I'm going to read in Ephesians 4 for a moment because we have to realize that we actually, as the body of Christ, we actually are going somewhere. (laughs) The body of Christ is on a journey like, like Amy's painting was today. Many times I talk about how these words that people get individually are corporate words. They're corporate words for the body. They're corporate words for us because we're, we're one. (laughs) We are one. And what is, what is true for you is true for me. And what affects you, whether I realize it or not, affects me. Matter of fact, when I came into this year and God was speaking to me about what he wanted to do this year and us bringing in Nate Blouse and us going through um, just deeper levels of inner healing, yes, supernatural mind renewal, whatever we want to call it, he was saying every person's individual repentance affects the whole. Every person's individual breakthrough affects the whole. So sometimes we, we live, not only do we have this illusion of separation, which John just did a brilliant job of breaking down on Tuesday night, not only do we have this illusion of separation, like God is over here and he's not over here, like, oh God, he's not in the gay bar, but he's here in church, or um, he can't get in the darkness, he's only in the holy place. I mean, all that is just such an illusion. That's Gnosticism, it's totally not the gospel. But we also have it a Another illusion, which is we are separate from God. So we worship God way up in heaven somewhere, and we're down here, and we have all of these methods, prayer and fasting and tithing and all these other things that we do to somehow get God to move rather than realizing he's already moved, and now he wants to move through me. And um, that we're one, we're never separated. Separation is a complete illusion. Christ is in me, not partially, fully. Okay, I'm not waiting for another outpouring. Let's just go ahead and let it out. The outpouring is going to come from inside my belly. <laughs> and so the more I awaken to that, the more it can actually get out. Um, and corporate, I mean, just all kinds of stuff, you know. Um, but then there's also this illusion of separation between one another in the body of Christ. That is a complete illusion. That's a complete deception. And we are, we are absolutely joined. We are absolutely joined to one another. We are members of one another. It is one body, one head, one baptism, one spirit. And so this illusion of separation, this illusion that your choices don't matter, the illusion that my choices don't matter, the illusion that my doesn't affect you or that your sin doesn't affect me. The illusion that we live in some kind of vacuum and what we do, we're free. We're free and what I do doesn't affect anybody else. Like that's free. It's rebellion is what that is. That's not freedom. 
Freedom is, freedom is free to love. We are free to love, to be loved and love. We were bought to be conformed into the image of Jesus. Love, 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 love. So if the foundation is Jesus Christ, and he's the perfect, the very imprint, the very exact representation of God, if the fullness of the Godhead dwelled in him bodily, let's be very clear that the image of God that we're being conformed to and that the image that Jesus was the exact representation of is the image of love. Okay? It's love. That is God. God is love. So the foundation is not only just Jesus Christ. The foundation who is Jesus Christ is love. The foundation is love. And so the repairing of the foundation that God's talking about, he's talking about a restoration of love. He's talking about the manifestation of love. All right? And, you know, 1 Corinthians 13 is really clear. It says you can do a whole lot of things. You can have signs. You can have wonders. You can have miracles. You can give everything. You can be a martyr. I mean, you can be the the holiest faster. You can be the most amazing worship leader. You can have millions. You can have billions. You can have trillions. You can build schools and Bible schools and colleges and orphanages. And and you can can transform cities. You can, you can, I mean, you can, pay rent for entire ghettos, I mean, and get them off the streets. I mean, there are works and works and works and works and power, things you can do in power. You can raise the dead. You can heal the sick. You can get a million people saved. You could minister and do all kinds of stuff. But if you have not the love of God, if you are not manifesting love, you're a problem. You're a problem. You're a problem. You're not just a noisy, clanging symbol. Let me tell you what, that's a problem. That's something that's irritating. It's the complete opposite representation than what Jesus Christ is. It is a problem. It is a distortion. And it is a turnoff. It is a turnoff. Jesus Christ is attractive to the world. Jesus Christ, the real Jesus, the world loved Jesus. The sinners loved him. And the religious people didn't recognize him. That's powerful. The religious people didn't recognize him. And the face of the church is unrecognizable. Why? Because its foundation needs to be repaired. It's not just the foundation in Prayer Mountain, and it's not just you and our, my foundation and your foundation. It's the foundation of the church in America. The foundation absolutely needs to be prepared, and Prayer Mountain has a role to play. Shalisa Minnes, Janice Adams, Amy Skye, Amy Wright, if, you know, everyone in here has a role to play. But unless our foundation is restored, then we're a part of the problem, not a part of the solution. And love is not just a word. And it's not just a feeling. Amen? It's a person that has feelings and has words. And I'll say this, the majority of the problems in our life come from a lack of love. 
places in our lives where we have not been established and rooted and grounded and fully, fully persuaded, fully overcome by the love of God. Like we, we just pull totally out of it into the love of God. We know that we know. And so we have a conditional, a condition. We have a condition. <laughs> Let me first say that. We have a condition. And this condition is an unfulfilled condition. We're unfulfilled. And I'm telling you, when you're unfulfilled, anything will act as a substitute. And let me tell you, for religious people, it's good things. For the elder brother, it's good things. For the sinner, it's bad things. But none of them are him. This condition of unfulfillment is a horrible foundation because it affects every motive for everything that we do in life. And you can do all the right things for all the wrong reasons. And you can be doing things to be loved. You can be doing things to be significant. You can be doing things for all the wrong reasons. I'm raising my hand. The more that I experience the love of God, the more that the core beliefs that, that, that form my identity, the core beliefs that form my personhood, the more that those beliefs are being restored, the more that the truth is being known by me internally at a, at a, at a known, at a, at a God, just like at a neuro neural subconscious deep level in my mind, the less I need anything and the more fulfilled I am with nothing. And here's the thing. When I operate from that place of unfulfillment, and I have this condition of unfulfillment. Everything in my life is also really, my relationship with most things in my life are, is, is, is idolatrous, including my relationships with people. Because I'm looking for people to supply me something rather than looking to people for me to give them something. And when, when Danny Silk talks about keeping your love on, he's operating from the premise that everyone has already got it. And now it's, it's, not, it's not an outside-in thing. All right? I'm not loved because you love me. I'm not loved because you're pleasant. I'm not loved because you agree with me. I'm not loved because you validate me. I'm not loved for any of these reasons external to me. I'm loved because I'm his. I'm loved because it is. I'm loved. I am loved. And I, I mean, and I couldn't be more loved than I am right this minute, no matter what, whether I fall into sin 
I'm still just as loved. Whether I do something amazing that changes history, I'm not loved more than either. The love is always on, and it's always consistent, and it's, it's a sure foundation. It's a foundation of unchanging one-way love. It's love that comes from God because of who he is. He's not loved. He isn't loved because he's loved. He just is love. He's love. He's love. So therefore, he's the source. He's the source of love. He's the source. There's one source. His name is Jesus. His name is Daddy. His name is Holy Spirit. There's one source for love. And when that source was within us, which it is, it's the source that all of us have been given. We live in love. When we say we are in him, we are in love. We are surrounded by love. We're in love. We're immersed in unconditional love. It is not conditional. It is not conditional. God doesn't love you more than he loves sinners. He doesn't love the born again more than he loves the unborn again. That is not the love of God. It says God, God so loved the world, the cosmos. He loves, he loved, so he gave his son so that everyone could experience the love. He wants everyone to be loved, to feel the love, to experience it. That was Paul's prayer for the church of Ephesus. He said, I pray, Father, that, oh my gosh, that they'd be rooted and grounded in this love, that they would know the height, the breadth, the depth of this love. And he even says, and I pray, Father, that they would experience this love. They would come be, they would come to an experiential knowledge of this love, far beyond just the, the, just the, you know, the knowledge of it. He says that when we experience the love of God, that we get fully filled with the divine presence, the fullness of the Godhead. So it's an experiential love. It's the experience of being loved. That's personally what I, what I think is so effective about Nate Blouse's ministry is because he takes you back, and I, I'm not, it's mind renewal. There are experiences that have happened to us. There are things that have happened to you in our life that lied to us and said you're not loved. There's something wrong with you. You're not good enough. No matter what you do, you'll never be good enough. No matter, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that we believe. We believe it. And let me tell you, we believe it at a subconscious level. We believe it because we experienced it. And Jesus wants to transform that so that you know that you know that you know that you're loved. Okay? Now, it's very hard to keep your love on when you're not operating from a place I am loved. Because your love is already off. All right? But when your love is on, it means you're operating from the place of I am fully fulfilled. I'm fulfilled. I'm fulfilled, I'm fulfilled, I'm fulfilled, I'm fulfilled. All right? Now, okay, Father, where do you want to go from here? Let's just read this in Ephesians 4. It says, I therefore, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, appeal and beg you to walk, lead a life worthy of the divine calling to which you have been called, with behavior that is credit to the summons of God's service. Living as becomes you, with lowliness of mind, humility, and meekness, unselfishness, gentleness, mildness, with patience, bearing one another and making allowances because you love one another. Be eager and strive earnestly to guard and keep the harmony of oneness produced by the Spirit in the binding power of peace. There is one body and one spirit, 
just as there is also one hope that belongs to the calling you received. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is above all, sovereign over all, pervading all, and living in us all. And then, he, and then it starts to talk about, you know, the ministry that God's given for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. But I want to stop here for a moment. Because really what he's saying here in Ephesians 4 is he's saying, be who you've been recreated to be. And walk and live a life from a place of your true identity, which is lover. Your true identity is lover. That's your true identity, lover. You are a lover. You are a lover. You're a lover. And guess what? God as a lover isn't loving based upon other people's choices. He's a lover based upon his choice. And he's a lover based upon one of his fruit, that's called self-control. Okay? His fruit, his character is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is the character of God. It's the character of God. And so he's a lover. And as a lover... These are the characteristics that describe who he is. He's patient. Love is patient. It's patient. Living as becomes you, verse 2, with complete lowliness of mind, humility and meekness, unselfishness, gentleness, mindness, with patience. Bearing with one another, making allowances because you love one another. Because you love one another. Patience. Because you're a lover. Kindness. Kindness has to do with the way we talk. Kindness has to do with the things that we do. Patience has to do with the way that we, it's a a way of being. Patience is a way of being. Kindness is a way of being that expresses itself in speech and act and thoughts. Thoughts matter. Kindness. Gentleness. Gentleness. You know, one of the things that's really been challenging me and I, I brought it to our leadership team, and it's, it's from the book, and it's a really, this book is so powerful. It's the kind of book, I read it the first time, and all I could do was just get frustrated. Because I looked at this and thought, this is amazing, this is beautiful. I want this so badly, but this is something I can do. This is something, it's such a standard that I don't even know how I can live up to it. So it's not, the thing is, you can't read these things and then like go into some kind of works mentality where you're trying to work this stuff. Because that's not the gospel. The gospel is this is a way of being. So I knew there was something wrong, not, not, in, the, not in reality. You know, God, there wasn't something wrong with me from Jesus' perspective. I'm perfected. But something about that perfection had not got here <laughs> and had not got here. And so it was manifesting in 
not loving ways. And it was manifesting in ways that hurt other people, that ultimately hurt me, that ultimately hurt relationships, that ultimately didn't represent Jesus accurately. And I took responsibility for that when I read the book. I didn't take responsibility for changing myself. Only Jesus can, you know, and transforming myself by the renewing of my mind. But I did say, I can look in the mirror because I'm the only person that has the power, that I have the power to actually control. I can control me. And I can take responsibility for me and the ways that I relate and the ways that I love or don't love, or areas of my life that are not congruent with with who I am in Christ. And so, you know, one of the, and so I read it and just went into prayer. I would just I would take the book and I would just be like, oh God, you know, I just I just would pray. I just want this so badly. I want this in my family. I want this in my parenting. I want this in with my marriage. I just want this so badly. And I would just I would just I just it was a desire of my heart. It was a desire of my heart to manifest the love of God. And I know the Holy Spirit put it there. I probably couldn't even desire it if he hadn't put it there. There's one particular chapter I wanted to talk about today, and it's chapter 7, and it's called Communicating in Conflict. Um, Because communicating in conflict is really where communication counts. Uh, Communication when you're not in conflict is not really a problem. (laughs) But when you... When you, when you get into the areas of offense or you get into the areas of um, disagreements or you get into areas where, for whatever reason, someone's upset in the discussion, maybe, and let me, let me back up for a second because I, I need to, because people are new here today, I just need to draw a little frame reference around something. Um, for those of you who have not been introduced to the inner healing ministry that we are, um, that we have here, that we're um, in the process of uh, launching and you know we've been doing inner healing for years but this is a relaunch of our inner healing ministry and Nathan Blouse in a safe place I just want to recap the video that you watch before a session so that you can get an idea of what I'm talking about and it has also relates to communication and conflict and so forth and so on in this pre-session video Nate talks about a couple that were driving in the car and the wife and the husband were running late for an engagement and They've never been to where they're going. And so the wife is reminding the husband that, you know, two stoplights ahead, he's got to make a left. So she's like, honey, don't forget, and two sli- don't miss the turn. Two slides from now, make a left. Well, you'd think, thanks, honey. Thank you for reminding me of that. Well, that was not the reaction. The reaction from the husband is, what that is wrong with you? What, do you think I'm an idiot? Why are you always trying to tell me how to drive? I'm not incompetent. I, I, I actually can I actually can put my pants on in the morning on my own. You know what? I can I can I know that I'm this is coming up in two, two lights. I don't need your help. Thank you very much. The whole atmosphere changed. Now they're in a fight, and the rest of the night is ruined because now the wife internally is probably sitting there too. He doesn't care about me. He doesn't love me. He treats me like a dog. I'm a doormat. I've always been like this. Why am I even married to this idiot? You know what I'm saying? Like that's that's that her inner atmosphere. And this is the relational dynamics going on in the car. So the guy goes into a session, and he starts to recognize, you know, man, I had kind of a level 10 response to my wife's half the time is the battle. Most of the time, we are so deluded that we actually think the other person has the problem. We actually blame the other person. And we want the other person to change so we can manifest our peace, so that we can maintain our peace. If you'd just change, I'd be a peaceful person. 
And we actually think that. We blame them and make them in charge of our own inner atmosphere, of our words, our actions. That's not self-control. That is other control. And Jesus didn't die for that. And so then he goes into the session with Nate. He says, like, you know, maybe that wasn't, you know, maybe maybe I've got an issue here. I've got this level. What is that? Why do, why do, I, why do I do that? Why do I respond like this? So in prayer, it comes back. The Holy Spirit brings to remembrance a six-year-old being taught by his dad to ride a bicycle. And the dad says, hey, when you get to the end of the garage, make a left and go around the garage and come back. When he gets to the end of the garage, he doesn't make a left, he falls. And his dad, level one issue, level 10 response. You are such an imbecile. Why don't you learn? I've told you this 15 different times. Are you ever going to learn to ride this bike? What is wrong with you? You're not going to amount to anything in your life. You're completely incompetent. Okay, fast forward. The guy's response in the car to his wife making a left turn had nothing to do with his wife. Our brains are wired. Our brains, we are so fearfully and wonderfully made. We have trillions, trillions of synapses, trillions of neurons. Our brains have learned things. We are learned. We are programmable beings. And so in the instant that he's in that car, in this, I mean, so quickly, it's, you don't even, you're not even aware of it. His wife gives him a left turn direction. His brain literally through the process of association associates left turn direction, six-year-old left turn direction. I'm an idiot. I'm incompetent. My dad's screaming at me. This is completely, totally subconscious. You are not aware of this. You aren't aware of what's happening here. What what happens is the emotional response, the belief system coming forth, and your behavior coming forth. All right? Now, I'm sharing that. There's a lot to explain. But many times, the reason our love isn't on is because something else is controlling us. And in our relational interactions, the conversation we're having our brain is having a complete different experience. So I'm talking to you about this particular issue, but you're not hearing this particular conversation. You're actually reliving an experience that is causing an emotional reaction in you. Are you following me? So many times when we are talking with people, as a leader, as a spiritual mom, I realize I am, they call that a trigger, by the way. Psychologists, psychiatrists, people recognize these are called triggers. And circumstances can be triggers. Conversations with people can be triggers. Anything can be a trigger. Matter of fact, you can, you know, (laughs) this is terrible, but in satanic ritual abuse, which is very real, they actually program people on purpose with triggers. All right, they break people down, they develop alter personalities, they disassociate people, and then they, they plant triggers in people's minds. So if you hear the song Wizard of Oz from Wizard of Oz, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, I mean, all kinds of things. Personality switch on, crazy stuff, crazy stuff. Okay, this is real. This is very real. Now, that's extreme, but the extreme proves that the subtle exists. All right? So many times when we are in conversations or in relationships with people, and let me tell you, our whole life is full of triggers. Work situations, you know, you're not talking to your boss, you're talking to your older sister who always bossed you around. Right? 
You're not, you're not upset with me. You're upset with your mother. You're not upset with your husband. You're upset with your father. You're not upset with your friend. You don't understand what I'm saying? Like, but we're completely unaware of this. And it's very hard to have self-control when you're being controlled. In Romans 12, 2, Paul says this, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind, by the way, is the deinstallation of everything, every program, every thought, every trigger that is not in line with the mind of Christ. We are called to be trigger-free. Do you know that lovers, God is trigger-free. You are not triggering him no matter what you do. He is completely trigger-free. What you're not reminding him of that one born-again believer from four centuries ago, right, that he had that real problem with. That's good news. His mind doesn't have to be renewed. Amen? Now, most of us, I'm telling you, most of the church, when you awaken to what I've just shared, when you awaken to this reality, people think at me, I've been, I mean, I'm going on my 26th session with Nathan this week. 26 sessions. Sometimes, some months I've done four hours. And people look at me like, what? You just be like the most broken plane on earth. I have a lot of stuff in my background for sure. But you guys, I recognize triggers. If you really want to know what, why I'm going for this so much, because every month I have particular things that I take in that I know of places that I'm not whole. Somebody does something and a spirit of fear rises up in me. I just recognize it. I don't blame everybody. I don't think Brian's got to change so that I feel better. That's, that you need to hear what I just said. I don't think another person on the planet has to change so that I feel better. I don't think somebody else has to stop manifesting brokenness so that I'm okay. We're called to be in the midst of a broken world. And sometimes these needs that we have, and it talks about needs and fully communicating your needs, and needs are valid, and we want to be able to communicate, and we want to give other people the opportunity to meet them. But when other people say, no, I'm not going to meet that, because we've given them the freedom to decide what they are and aren't going to do because they're independent from you, what does that mean when I'm unwilling to meet your need? I'm just saying, this is deep stuff. It's relational. It's where the rubber meets the road. Because we can sit up in church all day and preach all kinds of great stuff, and then we go home and we have all kinds of dysfunction in our homes, in our families, in our conversations, in our workplaces. We have discord. We have conflict. We have breakups. We have fights. We have all kinds of mess. And Jesus didn't die for that. Jesus died for And it's the kind of sozo. It is wholeness. It's deliverance. It means peace in your finances. It means peace in every area. And I'm not saying that it means you always have money. Hey, that's conditional peace. Because our needs are met independent of what our bank accounts say. I'm just telling you, there's a way of living free from all this trigger nonsense. And part of my job as your leader is, number one, to be a model. And let me tell you what I'm modeling. I'm modeling an awakeness, a a, a state of being awake to my own dysfunction. Hey. Some shaka on this. I tell you, it's awesome. And it's not, see, here's the other thing that that I also have to model here. 
I am very clear that my identity is not my unrenewed mind. I'm very clear that my identity is not the way that I behave. I'm very clear. But let me say this. I've also come to the place that I realize that my dysfunction impacts other people. My children, my husband, my spiritual relations, my friends, my, my family, it affects it. And that matters. The impact that I'm having on everybody matters. The impact that my internal atmosphere has on other, the impact that my words have matters. The impact of my thoughts matters. Why? Because I'm one. I am one. And I, you know, you really can't have conversations in private. The spirit realm hears it. It affects connection. It affects. There's an effect. But it's not about condemnation. And it's not trying to get something we already don't have. It's about aligning. It's about yes. It's about the yes and amen in our minds where, where, because let me tell you this, when, when I come out of those sessions, like I'm not trying to be different. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to do anything. I told, when Crowder was here, we had lunch. I said, look, I retired. I've retired from ministry. I've retired. I've retired from building anything. I've retired from doing. I've retired from doing. Now, let me say this. When you do this, does it mean I'm never going to do anything, that I'm lazy? I don't know. (laughs) I know Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. And I think the Father's probably big enough that if he needs something done and he needs me to do it, that he's probably going to be able to have to show me that. And so it's a flow. It's the unforced rhythms of grace. I'm not forcing anything. I'm flowing. I'm being. And, okay. Now, I wanted to go through this today because there was a point of this, and I'm going to wrap it up. I know we got to run out of time here. In, in the book, that ta- in the book, when it talks about in Chapter 7 about communicating in conflict, um, there were 11, I called them the core values. I don't know that that's what I called them in the book, but that's what I called them. The core values and tools of communication that apply when we're in conflict, but really they apply to every conversation. And this is like, first of all, some of us have never even been through any kind of communication training at all. And we're terrible communicators. Terrible communicators. We're terrible communicators. Number one, because we're terrible listeners. Right? Now, for me, there's reasons why I was a terrible listener. And there's reasons why I was a fighter and a fighting to be heard and fight, couldn't listen because I was so, trying so hard to be understood. There's reasons for that. I mean, there's valid reasons. I, I mean, there's valid reasons why I believed what I believed and was triggered in these things and acted that way. There's also valid reasons why I'm no longer like that. That's not the point. The point is, until I really began to get a grip on this and start to look at this, 
it really started to help me recognize this is what health and wholeness is. This is what I'm called to be. This is who Jesus is. This is my real identity. I'm, a, I'm an excellent communicator, and this is what it looks like. Number one, let me tell you, I'm just going to read through them. I actually printed this off. Brian and I signed it, made a commitment with one another that we were going to make this the foundation of our marriage. We're not doing such a good job of it sometimes. We're learning. This thing is like a light, and it shines, just like the Word of God. The Word of God is like a light that shines. And then other days we're doing really great, and we stop and remember our whole leadership team. Passed it out, signed it. This is the this is gonna be the about this is gonna be the foundation of how we lead. Are we doing it perfect? Not yet. But are we gonna get there? Well, as long as we don't quit. Here's the first one. This is amazing. The first goal in a conversation is to understand one another. The first goal is to understand one another. Now, in order to do that, that means you've got to listen. And there can only be one listener and one talker at a time. You can't talk over each other, and you can't be thinking about how you're going to fight with that just said and tell them how they're wrong because you hadn't, you're not trying to do that. You're listening. And you're listening for the purpose of understanding. Am I hearing what you're saying? Am I actually, can I, can I repeat to you what, I, what you're saying? Do I understand what you're actually saying? It's just a complete, just an understand. You're just trying to understand. You're just understanding. That's all you're doing. If they don't say it, if you don't understand it, well, can you say that a different way? Because I'm not sure I understand. Can you say that one more time? It takes patience also to be the person that's communicating because you're, 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 you're wanting that person to understand. Okay, number two, my thoughts, feelings, and needs are valuable and important, and so are yours. I don't participate in disrespectful conversations. When my thoughts, feelings, and needs are devalued in a conversation, I will stop the conversation and set a clear boundary. Until respect is restored, I will not participate. Okay, now this is loving. This isn't controlling. This is loving. It means when there's a lack of respect that's, that's now entered into the conversation for the way I feel, for the way that I think, or what I'm needing, if it's being devalued in any way, I'm going to stop because there's been a lack of respect that's been, that I'm feeling. And then I'm going to say, we're going to stop until the respect can be restored. It says, we need to communicate our true feelings and needs to establish trust and intimacy. Okay, so you're communicating how you feel and what you need. Okay, first, this is number five. It's my job to tell you what's going on inside of me. That's actually called intimacy. What's going on inside of me. It's my job to tell you what's going on inside of me. And it's your job to tell me what's going on inside of you. We don't have the powers of telepathy or the right to assume we know one another's motives, thoughts, feelings, and needs. It means I don't have a right to tell you what's going on in you. I don't have a right to judge your thoughts, your feelings, your intentions, or your motives. And a lot of us Christians, we do this by the gifts of the Spirit, supposedly. We discern it. No, it's not your job. 
That's a boundary violation. That is literally invading into another person's heart. And let me say this, God doesn't do that. My job to tell you what's going on inside of me, your job to tell me what's going on inside of you. We don't have the powers of, we don't read minds. We don't read minds. We don't attempt to read minds. And we don't have the right to assume. Number six, the best way to communicate my feelings and my needs to you is to use I messages. And clear, specific statements that show what I am feeling and I am experiencing. You are are describing your own self. You're giving language to what's going on inside of you. And it's a safe place when you're able to do that with the absence of judgment. So when you're listening, you're not trying to change the person's inner atmosphere by saying you shouldn't feel that way. You shouldn't need that. Well, whatever. They still feel it, and it's still a need from their perspective. Okay? And so you're giving someone a safe place to express what they think, what they feel, and what they need. Okay? And it doesn't mean anything except you're trying to understand it. Then it says... I will not expect you to know my feelings and needs unless I have communicated them to you. So none of this you should know. If you love me, you'd know. It it, it invalidates all passive forms of communication. Unless you have explicitly, let me just say this, when it relates to Shalisa Menas, let me tell you right now, I am not spending a moment trying to figure out your problem. I will not. If I, if I, if it's so passive that I sense you've got a problem, I might go ahead and ask, do you have a problem? I might say it probably nicer than I'm saying it right now, but my point is I'm going to be very direct. Do you have a problem? Is there something that you need? What can I do for you? What do you need? And it's going to be your job to explain that to me. I'm not going to assume I'm not going to mind. I'm not going to spend my wills doing that. And I'm asked, don't do the same for me either. Don't try to interpret what's going on in me because you'll misread it. It says, I will not make judgment statements or tell you how you must change in order to meet my needs. I'm not going to judge it. I'm not going to judge and I'm not going to tell you how to change. When you communicate your needs to me, it's my job to listen well so I can understand what you need, how my life is affecting you, and what I can do to meet your needs. I'm committed to protecting and nurturing our connection. I will do what I need to do in order to keep moving towards you no matter what. It's my job to manage my heart so that I can respond to you in love and cast out fear in our relationship. Now, I would also add to that, it's my job to manage my heart so that I can respond to you to love and cast out fear in our relationship and recognize what's being triggered in my own mind by you. 
you take responsibility for your triggers. Now, you get to a place when, you know, you've been in relationship with people for a long time and you really know them and you know their character and you know when they're acting out of character, that you can, if you get to that place and there's mutual trust and respect built there, then you can help one another. You can say, you know what, I think there's something there that's, you're not free in that area. Like something's, that's, I'm hitting something here that I don't know that it's me. Maybe we could pray about that. Maybe we could pray about that. You know, and Brian and I do that all the time, all the time. And sometimes we'll, we'll have it some, something happen and then we'll go apart. And I mean, I just search my heart. I search my heart. Like, what is this? It's, I mean, yes, I can focus on what he's actually, what actually is going on, or I can focus on what is actually coming up in, in me as a result of the situation, a result of this conversation. What is this? This is fear of some kind. This is, this is something. Something's coming up. What is this? And let me tell you, when it's free, it doesn't come up. Like, real freedom is not trying to constantly stuff all this crap down. That is not freedom. This is supposed to be a way of being. This is something that you can do from a place of freedom, not something that you're trying to work and do and fight in my own internal atmosphere of hell. You know? I have been there. <laughs> I have had, I've been there, done that. It's exhausting, and it ultimately never works. Okay? So we're going to go ahead and wrap up for today. I encourage you. Where, where am I saying? I'm encouraging you. You know, read the book. Get the book. Amen. Get into the journey. Get into the journey. Get into the, the place where the Holy Spirit is just helping us renew our minds. And make a decisive commitment. I'm going to keep my love on. I'm a lover. It's who I am. I am loved. What else would I say? Spend time being loved. Allow Jesus to love you. Spend time in his presence. Spend time, you know, just in worship, blissed out. Just get at the place of just encounters with God. Let him love you. Let him love you. Receive his love. Be loved. Let him love you. Let him say it over and over again. Let him come to those places where you've been abused, where you've been broken, where you've been hurt. Just repair those things in your heart and be like, ah, I was there, and this is what I thought. You know, I'll I'll wrap it up with this. That that video, that pre-session video, it ends with the Lord coming back to that memory and and showing up in the memory with that man. Because, you know, Jesus is the great I am. He's in our past as much as in our future. And Jesus showed up in that memory, and he saw where he was. And Jesus ministered to that little boy. He came, put him on the bicycle, started riding the bicycle with him, said, you know, no, you're an amazing bicycle. You know what? Your dad, and gave him a new perspective on his dad. And how his dad had been abused. His dad had never been taught patience and things. And the memory, matter of fact, when, when the man tries to go back to that memory of a six-year-old, he can't even go back to the old memory. The, the whole, this memory is full of Jesus. It's now a memory of Jesus. It's a wonderful place. It's a wonderful thing. The brokenness was made beautiful. So the next matter of fact, after that happens, he comes back. He has another conversation with Nate. And Nate's like, hey, how's, how's, that, uh, how's that relationship with your wife going? And he's like, what are you talking about? He's like, in the car, you know, with her giving you directions. He's like, huh? Oh. He's like, well, yeah, we've been in the car. Yeah, she's done that left turn thing. But, you know, yeah, I just smiled and grabbed her hand and made the left turn. Wow. Totally effortless. That's real transformation. Or as Paul would say, metamorphy. That's real transfiguration. That's where what's inside of you is now 
and yield. Make sense? So it's not enough, you guys, it's not enough for it to be a reality in the spirit. It needs to be a reality in our relationships. It needs to be a reality in our conversations and in our thoughts. It needs to be here. We need to awaken and renew what's actually been accomplished. Amen? Amen. All right, well, let me pray. Father, I just thank you for what you're doing in this house. I thank you for what you're doing in each of us individually. And I do thank you that every person's personal repentance is leading to corporate wholeness. And I just thank you right now that we aren't in charge of anybody else but ourselves. (laughs) Wow, that's good news. That's a full-time job. (laughs) It's one that you're capable of, Jesus. And so, Lord, I just pray right now for just a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you to come upon us. I pray that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened and that we would know the hope of our calling. And I, Father, I just pray for triggers to be revealed. I pray right now, Father, for the anointing for people to begin to recognize their own triggers, their own places, Father, where they're not able to operate from a place of being loved. I pray that those things would be exposed. And then I pray that the truth would come for every one of those and that every trigger would be deinstalled by your power, by your grace. I pray for the renewal of minds. I pray for supernatural mind renewal, God. And I pray for freedom, 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 freedom from from cycles, from patterns of behavior, Father, just from dysfunction of all kinds. I pray for relational wholeness. I pray for wholeness in marriages and parents and children, Father, between siblings, between sisters and brothers in Christ, God. Just, I just pray for restoration in relationships, Father. I pray just for every place that's been broken, every place the breach has been, um, there's been a breach, Father. I just pray that that would be restored. I pray for wholeness in this body. And I just pray for even um, just a wisdom to come as we have conversations with one another, as we walk through circumstances with one another. Father, I pray for that wisdom that would just even come in those conversations. And I thank you, God, that we are an honoring people. We are a people that honor one another, that love one another, bear with one another, and we manifest